0: Four, eight, twenty-three, forty-two. twenty-three, forty-two, four, eight. We're dead. Fifteen, doomed and dead. 16
1: Are we 23. okay?
0: Huh? Yeah. Awesome. I just have to pee.
2: Great idea, dude. Go look in the burning death hole.
3: Welcome to the weekly Lost Edition of the Generally Speaking Podcast. Please welcome your hosts, Stephanie, Rachel, and Cliff.
4: Hello and welcome to the March 10th edition of Generally Speaking. I'm Cliff Ravenscraft.
5: I'm Stephanie Ravenscraft.
4: And Rachel's not here yet again. But instead, we do have a sit-in for Rachel. Uh, Rem, are you still with us? I'm
3: still with you. How you doing?
4: This is Rem Levictois from uh, Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And he is our professional announcer. We also know him as the Hatch Monkey from the island. And yes, indeed. He's our all-around sound good guy. So, uh, Rem, welcome to the show. Thanks for sitting in for Rachel this week.
3: My pleasure. Where is Rachel? Is she okay? Uh,
4: well, yeah, she's doing fine. She's not sick. She just had a really bad day. I don't know if you oh. she, <laughs> she She called me up and says, uh, I don't think I'll be very good company tonight. So, uh, oh, I see. Let's just all pray that Rachel can uh, regain her composure and and that she'll be back with us next week. But anyway, we do have a special episode of Generally Speaking this week. We're going to be talking about some listener theories, and uh, we'll maybe bring up our own theories. And before we go into anything cool, let's go ahead and listen to some awesome transition music. Okay, well, Rem, uh, as you know, we're doing a theory week. Uh, I figured since you're on here, uh, you might have some ideas or some crazy theories or maybe
3: some really cool theories that you've heard. What what do you got out there? Well, you know, my idea was starting to gel around the whole idea of um, something that my brother-in-law actually talked about. And when I was on my trip in Ontario, he said that the hatch is actually a spaceship. And I don't think I've heard anyone else say that. And his idea is that if you don't put the numbers in, in a you know, manner of time as the clock counts down, the hieroglyphs show up. Apparently, this thing would launch out of the ground. I guess that's based on the idea that maybe if no one is left to uh, to put the numbers in, that makes the assumption that everyone's dead, and this capsule launches itself into space. Have you heard anyone else suggest that idea?
4: I have not heard anyone else come up with that theory. That that sounds like a unique theory to me. In very fact, very unique. Who came up with that? That's my brother-in-law, Mark. Mark, do you think he'll be listening to the show?
3: Oh, oh for sure yes okay uh, I, I've definitely introduced everyone generally speaking when I was on my on my road trip so they'll be listening for sure
4: hey hey Mark this one's for
3: you it's an interesting theory oh I think you'll <laughs> like that
4: <laughs> so yeah I like that uh, in fact we got a couple um i I kind of solicited uh, calls from our listeners last week and and uh, begged and pleaded that they give us a call on our listener line and and uh, what I'd like to do real quick rem is, is uh, basically play a couple calls, and Stephanie, myself, and you, we can sit around and debate some of the things that they bring up. How do you? Th- what do you think about that? Sounds great. All right. Well, the first call is going to be from Bobby. Uh, Bobby is a campus pastor, and he has an interesting echo idea. So let's go ahead and play that.
6: Hey, guys. My name is Bobby. I'm a college pastor out of Tampa, Florida. I've got an interesting perspective that I haven't really heard anybody talk about yet after uh, last week's episode Maternity Leave. Um, hearing the the bearded Mister Friendly talking about how uh, wait till we till he finds out and all that, I've been wondering who is the he. And Mister Echo has been a little bit mysterious to me. The way he was confessing his sins, if you will, to Henry Gale seemed a little bit too intense. Uh, and if you remember, um, I believe it was right before the other forty-eight days, he took a vow of silence for forty days after he killed those two men. I'm wondering if there's a whole a Dharma initiative with some of this communal living, maybe a lot of the Eastern mysticism infiltrating the thing, if this might have to do with some kind of cult theory or maybe even um, having to do with uh, something in an Antichrist. And let me explain. The, the others, if you will, have been taking the children. I'm wondering if they knew which children they were looking for or if they were taking them all in case they found the one they... They knew was there um, the child being Aaron that they're looking for. I believe that Mr. Echo is kind of got this in the in Revelation that talks about um, the false prophet that comes before um, the Antichrist on his Jesus stick as we affectionately call it. He was he was uh, scratching and I don't remember exactly, but it was a verse in Revelation and Revelation is predominantly talking about the end times in the Bible. So my theory is this. He goes before Henry Gale to confess the sin to let him know that, Hey, listen, I'm back on track. I you know, I killed two of our own people, but listen, I haven't turned against us. Well one of my reasons in series is this the reason why the monster didn't destroy him is because the monster knew who he was to begin with. And was almost kinda like a security scan thing, Okay, you're good to go. We know who you are, Mr. Echo. Um, the whole thing with uh with Aaron, um, as when Kate was, not Kate, excuse me, when Claire was in her makeshift nursery, check this out, and the mobile that was over the crib, I don't know if anyone saw it, those were oceanic airline planes that were going. The song that was playing when, um, the name was, uh, take a falling star, put it in your pocket, and never let it go. Um, Satan in the Bible was considered, it was called the morning star, um, and also called him a fallen star. And, uh, my connection the other day was this. What if um Aaron is supposed to be the embodiment of this um antichrist, if you will, the enemy coming back and Echo is the is the great prophet. And I'm wondering by him marking certain trees and clearing them if this is for some sacrificial thing, if this is for some other premeditated uh
4: Okay, just so you know, that was the end of the three-minute limit on the listener line. So uh, I think, Bobby, what we did is we got the gist of what you were saying there. And uh, so what do you guys think about this whole idea of Echo being a part of Dharma and possibly having some connection with the end times
3: and the Antichrist and all of those things?
4: It's
5: well also, thought out. And-
3: it's a really big idea, <laughs> it isn't is. it? But it its But there are a lot of people who sort of tie in the idea of saying, well, you know, these people are all part of Dharma, and to to say that Echo is a part of the Dharma group, I find that kind of hard to believe.
4: Yeah, I find it hard to believe myself. In fact, you know the the scriptures on the on the Jesus stick. Go, in, go into that. What I kind of think there is that that whole carving on the stick thing that was specifically uh, to build to this leading reveal that Echo is a priest or has something to do with the priesthood. And that, that's, I, think, I think that has been, I, I think now that that reveal is there that he's a priest, I believe that the, the Jesus stick and the scriptures that were inscribed upon it, I, I think they fulfilled their, their role in the show. Uh, Do you
3: think, too, that maybe you know in the, in the episode of the 23rd Psalm, when he has his brother Yemi sign the papers, the ordination papers, I'm, I would think at that point Echo probably had never even read a Bible. And he was just posing as a priest, and wasn 't intending to actually go in that direction until until much later on, so maybe he doesn 't have the um, the theoretical background, the training per se for the for the priesthood, and maybe that 's why he you know blew that line in the twenty third psalm you know reversing it, and maybe that 's why he has to carve things on his sticks, so he does remember them because maybe he 's not very well educated in the uh, in the in the priesthood teachings
4: well you know i was i was i was with you there uh on that rem when when i had first watched the 23rd well maybe the third time i watched the 23rd psalm <laughs> and um i, I kind of had the same kind of thoughts but um as far as maybe has he ever really uh picked up the bible before i would say that yes he has obviously he and his brother were close you know in the I don't know if they were in an orphanage or if they were you know where they were exactly I think that was a church area they were in
7: a
5: village they
4: were in a village and and I would say that as a child he probably went to church with his brother and I would say that even during the time when he was the warlord I, I would say that there were probably times when he tried to make connections with God but but didn't happen to, to do that. And, and the only I can say that kind of from experience. There was a time uh, when I became a Christian, uh, which was December 9th, 1991. There, there was probably a good year and a half that I walked a pretty good Christian walk and, and kind of th- fell away from that. And when I went away to college, I was worse off after I fell away from my relationship or at least walking uh, in the way that I, I felt called to walk. There there were a good two or three solid years where when I was at college, I lived much worse than I ever did before. And uh. yet during that time, I still felt compelled to sometimes pick up the Bible and read it. I still felt a calling or an urgency to, to get right with my relationship with God and go back to church. And I did on several occasions felt that huge, con- heavy conviction that anybody who's a Christian out there listening to this knows what conviction I'm talking about. When you walk in the church and your life's not right, uh, just the Holy Spirit just really urges you, hey, you, something's wrong here. You know what you need to do, but you don't want to do it. And so you just get out and you leave. And, and I'm sure that probably Echo had those experiences uh, in his life as a warlord. And I believe that probably there is something done uh, with Echo and Yemi as children that kind of led him to, you know, that led Yemi to choose the life of being a priest. And so I would think that, that prior to this event that we saw in Echo's background where, where uh, Echo shot the, the old man, prior to that, I would say that he had that same childhood background that would have led possibly him to be involved in ministry, possibly e- also.
5: Maybe it was just Echo being taken that caused Yemi to, that that led Yemi to become the priest. It could have been just that one event in his life.
3: Yeah, you're right. It could be. We don't see what defining event caused him to enter the priesthood. Right. Maybe that's something that comes later in the in the future.
4: Right. And and then of course you know the idea that you know Echo did have him sign the document to be make him a priest. Obviously his desire was not to be a priest. But I would say that what we clearly see is that when his brother was shot, carried onto the plane, and Echo was left behind, and the military or whatever that was that. That came up to him, they automatically assumed that he was padre or father or the priest. That was brilliant. And that was a brilliant uh, way to end that flashback portion of the show. And I think at that point, that was probably the first point where he says, I do have the documents and well, if I don't follow through with this, then, and then of course, there's this whole idea that he probably felt guilty or convicted about the fact that his lifestyle has led his brother now to be killed, uh, possibly, and that this was a turning point, and that he became desirous to to follow the life of being a priest at that time, which could be, uh, well, you could tell by the decayed bodies found on the island later in that same episode in the 23rd Psalm, you can tell that there was some time by from when the plane had taken off where we see that that's possibly what started his quest into the priesthood and when the when they're actually on the island, uh, which right. I would think is probably at least a year two years down the road. You'd think so yeah. Uh, so that that's my I, thinking. Go ahead.
5: We are under the assumption that every decision that he has made is well thought out and well planned. But in that moment, when they show his brother being shot and dragged onto the plane, and then, and then the men in the Jeeps come up to him, assume that he is father, in that moment, he wasn't thinking, oh, well, I've got papers and they're signed and, you know, I could just play this out. And in that moment, he's thinking, if I disagree, they're going to kill me. Right. You know, maybe later on, after he's out of that particular situation, he he chose to turn his life around and, and to take that as as an opportunity to do so.
4: No, I, I got you. I, and and I think that's pro- but uh, but the whole idea is that I believe that this, there are some specula- there's some speculation that Echo became a priest officially when he confessed to Charlie. Yeah, I'm a priest. But uh, maybe there was always some question in his mind. But the the uh, the whole reason I bring all that up is Rem's comment on whether or not he had any official training. And perhaps that's why he had to inscribe those things. But in th- I, going to that, I will tell you that even having the studies that I do for ministry, uh, there there are some scriptures that I can memorize off the top of my head. But sometimes when I had to take a test where I had to have like 40 different verses memorized and they couldn't be Jesus wept, um, the 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 first thing I would do before I would start writing those out is I would immediately write down the scripture reference where it was at mm-hmm. First Timothy three twelve, uh, you know Revelation right. three twenty right. Hebrews three twelve through fourteen. So you know the first thing you do is write those down, and then it helps you to remember those verses for when you need them. And so, I don't know. The whole thing that brought us to this is this idea that Bobby yeah. brought up. And, Bobby, we appreciate your theory. I, I don't know that I could go for Echo um, believe, being a part of Dharma. Yeah. That I don't know if I could go quite for the security seeing, system saying, oh, okay, we know you, Mr. Echo, you're okay. And I don't know that I could go for... He him going and confessing with the idea that hey, I'm sorry I killed a couple of us and now I'm here to say that I'm back okay with us.
5: I think he's I I I think he went in and said, Hey, I'm sorry I killed a couple of you
4: Yes. Yep. But As penance. Yeah. Like listen, yeah. I, I I don't
3: you know, I so I, I can't say I'm sorry to the theory, people.
5: But I can't say that I agree with it.
3: Yeah. Rem, what do you think? Well, there was one perspective that I got when Echo was getting up to leave after he talked to Henry Gale and he made his confession and he cut those two little pieces of fuzz off his off his beard. He that looked was so ri-
5: intense. I'm It sorry. really was.
3: And he, you know what? He looked so threatening when he left. And the the impression I got was that he had an agenda going in there. Mm-hmm. Yes. the agenda was this as I one i need to confess what i've done i need to talk to somebody and sometimes it's easier to to confess to a stranger than somebody that you live with right and i think the second thing that he was doing was giving henry gale a veiled warning yeah you know cuz he described very vividly you know i took a rock and i Beat these two people to death with this rock. I had their Golden. blood pouring exactly. down my hands, Autumn. as if to say to Henry Gale, you know, if you want to <laughs> screw with us, we're going to screw with you right back. Right. And that's I think right. there was, I think there was definitely a warning there. And you could see the look on Henry Gale's face; he was terrified. I was <laughs> almost terrified. Oh yeah, I'm like,
4: whoa, hello. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well that's that's enough, uh, Bobby. Thank you for your thank call, you. and thank you for contributing to our show and. And, Good question. Uh, thanks for bringing up the point that I should remind people. If you do call our listener line, remember there is a three-minute <laughs> limit so that you don't get cut off. That's, but,
5: that's how we should. That's how we should make Cliff do his audio comment. <laughs> 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 it's with a three-minute limit. Oh.
4: I would just call nice. fifteen times <laughs> to continue on. <laughs> All right, guys. Let's. We're gonna go ahead and uh, play a call that we got from Jeff. From Portland, Oregon.
8: Hey there, uh, you guys. This is Jeff in Portland, Oregon. Um, I'm just catching up with all the lost podcast world now, and this is actually the first time I'm calling one. And I just wanted to uh, add something to something one of the callers said. He mentioned Saint Elsewhere and the the whole autistic child, who, by the way, was a, a character in the world. He was the son of one of the doctors in the world of the hospital um one real world connection between uh Saint Elsewhere and Lost is that the episode uh The Other 48 Days was directed by a gentleman named Eric Lanuville and Eric Lanouville is a uh, well he's a TV director he also has directed some episodes of Every, Everybody Hates Chris and Medium this year and many others going back years but he was uh the custodian named Luther as an actor in the series Saint Elsewhere uh, and not only that, but he's the very first character that you even see in the series, saying Elsewhere, uh, in the very first shot of the very first episode. Um, you know, that doesn't prove anything one way or the other, but it is a very interesting little, maybe even sort of wink and nudge on the producer's part, hiring him to uh, direct an episode of this series, just sort of tweaking the viewers who are wondering whether it's all going to turn out to be, uh, you know, an autistic uh child shaking a globe with an oceanic airwave plane in it or something like that uh anyway um i'm entertained by uh your uh your podcasting so uh keep it up and i'll keep listening to get on thanks
4: bye jeff thank you very much for that follow-up call regarding saint elsewhere Mm -hmm. uh very interesting stuff and i guess that kind of could lead us into the theory Uh, Regarding, is it possible that everything on the island is happening as a snow globe or that it's all just the imagination of an individual? Have you heard those kind of theories, Rem?
3: It's a fun idea, and when I hear that one, it kind of reminds me of that movie Men in Black. Do you remember that years ago? (laughs) Yes. Where they have this shot of the Earth, and as they zoom out, they zoom out, they zoom out, and then suddenly uh, it turns out that the world or the galaxy is really a set of marbles, being played with by a bunch of extraterrestrials. Yes. You know. So yeah. I think that's kind of a it's a really neat idea.
4: Yeah, there are a lot of people who are very would be they say they'll be very upset or angry if that's what it is.
5: I agree with that. I I I don't want it to be that.
4: You would be upset if the, you found out it was all just in somebody's mind.
5: If I put all of this energy and time into watching this show for Five, six, seven years, eight uh-huh. years—however long it's going yeah. to be on—to find five out years. that it was somebody's stupid dream. Yeah.
3: See? Oh yeah, I would feel so ripped off. Yeah. I see. I
4: I've been thinking about that because I've been I've been hearing this com- this possible complaint. If that's what it is, I
5: mean, for the this for us takes up so much more than just an hour a week.
4: Well, it's. Okay. I'm sorry, but here here's the deal. Yeah. I I just don't understand getting up. Are we enjoying ourselves right now? Of course. And, and so, yes,
5: but in five years, if it was a dream, I'm gonna feel I'm gonna feel ripped off.
4: <laughs> See, I just I just don't understand. We are enjoying the ride.
5: It's just TV.
4: Maybe our life is a dream.
5: It's just TV.
4: You know, and, and that's what life it all a, comes
5: down to. It,
4: life is but a stage. Oh. <laughs>
3: and we are merely players. That's right. <laughs>
4: Here's the here's the thing. I just don't understand the possibility of being upset with that. I mean, if that, I, mean, I
5: won't be upset, but I don't like it.
4: Okay, okay, see, I can I can handle that. I don't like that. I think it's too easy. Uh, but there are some people that said it's that, been done already. Okay, it's been done already. That's an, see, I can handle those arguments, but I just can't understand this whole. You know, I I will be upset if I've wasted all my time. Because I'm enjoying myself. I don't care what the and... I know you are.
5: (laughs) The one thing in the beginning that Lost had was that there's nothing else like it. Yeah. Nothing else currently on television that is like it. And if they end copying off of something else that's already been done, that will be a letdown.
4: Now, I will have to disagree with you on one point. They have done nothing but copy... Everything that they do on this thing and borrowed from movies, from books, from prior television shows, but they
5: make it unique and they make it their own.
4: The way they put it together, and who's to say they can't just borrow the St. Elsewhere snow globe thing and make it unique and their own as a part of just the same? Because it
5: doesn't snow in the jungle,
4: (laughs) (laughs) but there are polar bears. Hello,
5: one and Sawyer killed it.
3: I think the point goes to Stephanie.
4: (laughs) Okay. Stephanie, you win that one. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. All right. We're going to go on to our next call from Jim uh, from Savannah.
9: Hey, guys. My name is Jim from Savannah. I'm uh, new to the podcast, and I love it. And I was going to call in and give a couple theories that I have. This one's concerning the numbers. I don't know if this has been talked about before, but a friend of mine had mentioned it to me, that the numbers are... Retired Yankees, all those numbers are retired Yankees. And when you add up all the numbers, it's 108, and there happens to be 108 stitches on a baseball. And I didn't know if uh, maybe Steinbrenner was behind the scenes or something, but I thought that was kind of strange. Um, another theory that me and a buddy were talking about is when the uh, numbers ran out and all the hieroglyphics started showing up. Black, some were black, some were red. We both think that there might be maybe five total hatches each one with the countdown clock in it. And if the hieroglyphics turned out red, that would mean that that hatch is disarmed and no one is tending to the countdown clock. And if it turned black, that would maybe mean that that specific hatch is still active and has someone in there. Um, not sure if any of this has been talked about. Just call in and uh, love your podcast. Thanks.
4: Bye. Well, Jim, thanks for calling in. I have heard about the retired Yankees being the numbers on the island. I matter of fact, it's kind of odd, but I just started hearing it three weeks ago. Yes, yeah, I'm here. And I thought I would have heard it a long time before then, but now all of a sudden, it. I mean, unless somebody else just retired and finished up the set, I'm not really sure why <laughs> we're just now getting to this. But, yeah, I, I've heard that. I don't know if there's any significance in in the sports field about that. Obviously, uh, that's a great, great, uh, what do you call that? Observation. And why are you smiling and laughing at that? If
5: you build it, they will come. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's exactly what I was thinking.
4: Yeah, and the idea on the hatch numbers, um, the, the countdown clock, I believe in his, if I'm not mistaken, I listened to Jim's message once or twice when I was recording it, uh, but did he say that there were, did he say there was a total of five hatches? Because there are five numbers. I'm thinking maybe he meant that there are five numbers and possibly each symbol that pops up represents five other hatches. Other
3: hatches. So, oh, I see what you're saying.
4: So yeah, so I think he said a total of five hatches, but, but I, I, I believe that he meant to say five other hatches other than the one that that countdown clock is in.
5: Which is the swan. Which is
4: the swan. Right. And and the only reason I point that out, Jim, is because in the orientation film, uh, the swan station is st- station number three of six. And so it's been revealed that there's been six. But no, uh, I have heard a couple people talk about those hieroglyphics standing mm-hmm. maybe being a symbol for other hatches. Right. And perhaps the other five hatches have a swan mm-hmm. symbol that pulls up. But I believe that uh, – well, actually, it's been revealed – on the official Lost podcast, that Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse has has uh, revealed that those were definitely hieroglyphics, and that there was a, some type of message. Uh, if you want, if if I think he even said if one wanted to decode that message or something, and I, it was something like uh, to a cause to die or something right. of that nature. So, uh, any other uh, thoughts on that, uh, Jim's call
3: there, Rem? I'd be really curious to see where the numbers are leading. That's, that's, for me, been one of the biggest questions. And if we found out that it was really Yankees jerseys, uh-huh. again, I would feel so ripped off. Yeah, and, and you know what? I think what happened, when they started writing Lost and, and when they started putting this show together, I'm sure that the creators had no idea that people would be digging into it, to the depths that we do. Right. So maybe they pulled out these numbers and said, sure, let's use these numbers. And nobody's started, ever
5: gonna nobody's ever gonna follow up on this.
3: <laughs> exactly. And then suddenly you have people who are, you know, doing great mathematical work into these trying to extrapolate some kind right. of meaning. And now I think the producers are in a in a position where they've got to come up with a really good explanation right. for these numbers. And
5: well was it John Stewart when Matthew was on the Daily Show that said You know the creators and the producers of this show had no idea what was going to come of this, and now they're just tap dancing trying to figure out what to do next.
4: Yeah, exactly. He he did, and 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 I agree with you. the 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 cool thing is uh, that the theory, you know, the the fact is is that I believe that the show's success has caught them by surprise, Mm -hmm. and so they started out with some plot lines to lead them. They they've always confessed that they've they do have a definite ending in mind and it's already set in stone, and they know how they're going to end it.
5: You think they started with it?
4: Yes, I think they started with the ending. However, they didn't realize it was going to be successful, and they introduced some plot things like the numbers and a couple other things, not thinking they would really ever have to give an answer. And so a while back, um, and of course, Rem, you brought this out in your official Lost Podcast uh, review one week, but what happened was Damon had given an interview to Ask Asielo, uh-huh. And yes. says, I don't know that we could ever explain those numbers. Right. And that, that confirms the fact that maybe they were tap dancing now. Right. Oh, gosh. We, I don't know if we could ever really do that. And then, of course, three weeks ago or two weeks ago on the Official Loss Podcast... We hear them saying, I, Carlton says to David, I don't know why you would say that. Of course we're going uh, to. Th- maybe it's not the answer like you guys want. It's that's that answer that's just like, you know, God, who can really explain the depth and the breadth of. Uh, I, I, tap dancing. They're tap dancing. And, they really are. Uh, they yes. are. Yeah, and, and, yeah. And I loved also, you brought up John Stewart. I love how my favorite line from John Stewart now <laughs> will forever be.
2: Uh, t it and watch it frame by frame. You'll pick things up. I love that.
4: (laughs) Because we are so frame by frame now. Oh, Uh, you
3: know it. You know it.
4: Jim, thank you very much for your call. And now we're going to go to Wally in Maryland.
10: Hey, guys. This is Wally from Maryland calling again. Um, I want to provide not as much a a theory on what's going on on the islands, but more of a commentary on the theme of the show, what kind of statement the creators are trying to make. And I think I'll start at the good versus evil, black versus white theme. Evil must exist for there to be good, and I think there, there's very much a distorted idea of what's good and what's evil on the island. If you were to ask the others, uh, I think they're convinced that they are doing the greater good. Um, and if you were to ask the losties, uh they would say that the others are evil, and that's who they're fighting. Um, on the island, there's no moral law, and, and that presents an interesting... Uh, problem: How will society function and develop without moral law, without infrastructure? Um, that may be part of what Dharma is studying, um, or part of the reason they're on the island. But um, we see now the closest thing the Losties have to any sort of law is Sawyer uh, with the guns. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that develops. Uh, the redemption theme, uh, major theme. It's been brought up several times. We've seen, seen characters like Jin, Echo, and Shannon um, experience the good side of it. Shannon uh, found a purpose, found true love. Echo um, turned away from being a warlord and uh, is you know, a man of uh, incredible faith now. And Jen, uh saved his marriage. Um, then you've got Charlie, Locke, and Sawyer who have fallen back on their previous ways. Sawyer um, with his... Uh, con artist uh, shenanigans, Locke with his anger, Charlie with his, with his drugs. Um, so will tigers ever lose their stripes? We will see. Hopefully we see uh, all these characters uh, turn away from those things ultimately in the series, but we'll see. And then you've got the choice or free will theme and the fact that your decisions affect other people. Um, we've seen it with the overlapping storylines that we're all connected. So um, that's what I see so far. Just on a very general level, um, interested in hearing your
4: thoughts. Thanks, guys. Wally, thank you very much for calling in your comments. Um, and I wrote down a couple notes as he was talking there. The one of the the only thing I really want to point out is the one concept that he had, and me being a Christian, and and some people out there kind of expect my Christian view on the show. And I just do, do want to point out one of the things that that I think is the only inaccuracy that he really said in his whole comment there, and that. He said there's no moral law on the island and that the only law they really seem to have is Sawyer and his guns. And um, unfortunately, Wally, I'm just going to have to disagree with you on that one point and that I believe that moral law is not something that's written in the books, uh, but moral law is something that's written on the hearts of every individual. And I'm not talking just Christians either. I, I think, I mean, obviously With my own faith, I I am biased, uh, and I admit that I'm biased in the way that I believe we're all created and endowed by God, uh, and we are his creation, and therefore he's created us all with a moral right and wrong conscious in our hearts and, and lives. Now, obviously, that's my own personal bias, and so, but if, even if you look into other religions or even people who are atheists in nature, they all seem to have this sense of right and wrong, this moral law, for, and I think there could be no greater evidence of that than when everybody let John Locke beat the crap out of Charlie. You know, what in the world's wrong with him doing some drugs? What in the world's wrong with him trying to drown a baby in an ocean? I mean, what in the world's wrong with people doing the things that they do? Why are they having such a hard time with each other if there's no moral law that's guiding them? So I think there's very much a moral law at work here. And that's what's making the relationship aspect of what's happening on the island so so huge and and in fact i think now and this is where i will jump in and get right behind you Wally and that is this idea of the redemption theme redemption is so important to Sharon, Shannon before she dies and redemption is so important to Boone and redemption is so important to these other individuals because of that moral internal law they want to know that they've made it right i think the whole redemption idea i'm going to predict and i'm going to make a theory on one of the future episodes, that you know how they put in some music here and there, I want to hear a little Bob Marley redemption song.
3: Oh, wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, that would be fun.
4: Yeah, a little Bob Marley on the Why island.
3: I mean, hey, it who does. doesn't like? Hey, who doesn't like Bob Marley? We I mean, yeah, man, you know,
4: we jamming.
3: <laughs> so anyway. I wanted to talk a little bit about this whole idea of uh, of the moral compass. Okay. And, and uh, there was something mentioned in the official podcast a while back about how some people think now that uh, they're on the island, that they've been on the island for almost two months, that they should start, you know, forming some sort of government and leaders and things like that. And... Um, the producers have mentioned that it's it's too soon, you know. They're probably working from a standpoint of wild west justice right now, right? And you know, immediate survival is has been taken care of, and now what they have to start to worry about is how they how they keep people in line. And it, it seems like Sawyer has sort of extended himself out to be a you know a person of authority because he has the weapons, and it the seems new like Lock and new sheriff in town, <laughs> <laughs> right? And Locke and Jack just seem to naturally share that leadership role. But I think when you take a bunch of people and throw them on an island, there, there is going to be an inherent sense of right and wrong. And it's, I think it's going to be based largely on what promotes survival. And if you bring it back to the Ten Commandments, you, know, you can take a person who's not a Christian and read them the Ten Commandments, and they make sense. Right. You know, it's a, you know, you don't steal from people. You don't kill people. You don't, you know, you don't lie to people. Those um those are just very common sense ways to live. <laughs> they work.
4: Now, what, so what? Fun- What's so funny about that? <laughs> I'm, I I got to hear this one.
3: <laughs> oh, I think we've tickled the funny bone.
5: <laughs> they do lie to people. They do kill people. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> okay, <laughs> and there's this question: Somebody's been sleeping with Sun. <laughs>
5: oh yeah, the, that's true. Seriously, Rem, the the example that you choose <laughs> from the Ten Commandments—they've broken everyone. So.
3: Yeah. <laughs> you, if you look at it from a perspective of what works well, uh, you know, by by following those examples, that would work well. Probably wouldn't right. make for very interesting television.
7: Right.
3: <laughs> which is which is why we have people going off and having these experiences, but coming back and never telling anybody what those experiences were. Yeah, Yeah, A a general lack of communication on the island, for sure.
4: Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and move on into what Shand uh, from Missouri had mentioned here.
11: Hello, Stephanie, Rachel, and Cliff. This is Shand from Springfield, Missouri. I have a theory about Locke and his sudden need to be played. I actually think he could be playing us. If you look back at the episode called The Long Con, we saw him refer to Mr. Sawyer as James, and he's done this for quite some time now. I think Mr. Locke knows that James-Sawyer was a con man. He, Mr. Locke, was trying to keep the war from starting between Mr. Happy and Jack and needed some way to, to get rid of the guns. He allowed Mr. james to play him or con him into giving him the guns, when in actuality... He was conning James. Let's fast forward to this last week's episode. We have our resident other living in our hatchler pad, Mr. Henry Gale, and there was the talk of our authors, and I think that Mr. Locke is trying to allow Mr. Gale to think that he is playing Locke and trying to pin him against, against Jack. Mr. Gale had mentioned that he was able to hear very well through these thin walls of the safe that he is in. Locke immediately leaves the safe and creates a rather large ruckus with the dishes. Maybe he's just trying to get Mr. Gale to think that his plan is working. Well, I'm interested to see what you think. Love the podcast. Wish you all the best of luck. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.
4: Shan, thank you for your call. Uh, Ram, what do you think? Wow, is, that's really, is that's really interesting.
3: Oh, you know what? I I just love the, the Locke character so much. I would love to think that Locke is doing that, and that he is. Um, when he made that disturbance with the dishes, uh-huh. that thought had occurred to me. I thought, you know, maybe he's actually playing Gale. You think so? I, Do- I would. I, you know what? I'd love to think so. Um, and the but the idea of, of giving up the guns. That's a you know that's a really tough one. I'd love to think that he did. Yeah. But It seems like Locke has been really naive lately.
4: Well, here's my deal. When we look back to season one and the flashbacks of of Locke, we get a very feeble, emotional guy. I mean, we we get the kind of Locke that we saw throw the dishes on the floor. When we see Walkabout, we see this guy that is destroyed because he can't go on this walkabout. You know, it's his destiny. You know, help me. I'm helpless. Why can't I do this? Why can't I get and then he he when he gets to the island he finds meaning and purpose he he finds the use of his legs for some reason and and he he feels he feels this this uh something within him comes alive and and he's all of a sudden being able to uncover his inner manhood or whatever and and he starts he's able to throw knives like Crocodile Dundee and and he can kill wild boar and he can pretty much make uh you know some pretty good herbs and spices to put on people's head and make them see things and and it, I mean he he can do all kinds of things and and he's found this newfound purpose in his life but every now and then I believe that because of some of the inner struggle and some of the relationship issues that he has when he has interactions with Jack that kind of conflict where he kind of feels like he's playing second fiddle and and stuff like that. I believe it triggers within him some anger issues. You recall that he met um, his woman friend uh, at a anger management session.
3: Oh, that's right. Yeah. And do
4: you remember he told son, I used to get angry all the time.
3: You know what it seems like? When we first saw Locke at the beginning, his existence on the island, you know, as a hunter, as a as a tracker, as a provider, he really demonstrated himself. He made himself so valuable. And there's one point where Charlie said, you know, if I was to put my faith in any one person to save us, it would be Locke. And he, he really came into his own and he really shined or shone, if you will. Mm-hmm. The place where he seems to have fallen down is when relationships on the island start to turn more people-centric and political, then that refers back to how he was in society, you know, uh, back home. He, I, I just wrote down here. He's great in survival, but he's bad in society.
4: Yeah, and I think that he's seeing some society starting to form, which is going to put borders around him, which people are going to start telling him what he can and cannot what do. Cannot do, yeah. And and so, and I think what's happening is that is making him. It's it's causing him to revert to his pre crash life. Or at least his his mentality, anyway.
3: That's you know that's a really interesting phone call. I think I think those are some really interesting points.
12: Hi,
10: this is Patty from Kentucky.
3: I have an idea that uh,
10: since Kate found the uh, glue and the makeup and the fake beard and the clothes in the medical hatch thing, um, I started to wonder what else was fake. Some of the group of others that Zeke is with. Obviously, is trying to make the others think that they are more than they are, or dangerous. I think that's fake, too. And I don't think necessarily that the losties that crashed on the plane or the tail enders are part of the experiment. At least not when they first got there. I think they surprised the Dharma people who were doing experiments. And I think they're trying to see how they survive, but I don't think they were originally part of the plan. Uh, that's my
7: idea. Thanks.
4: Bye. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Patty, from Kentucky uh, calling in. Maybe we'll have to invite Patty to come up and record as a guest host with us one week. What do you guys think about this idea that the talees and the fusees or the losties altogether were never <coughs> meant to be a part of the Dharma experiment?
5: I like it because um, I've I've liked for, from the very beginning to hold on to the thought that the plane crash was fate and that all of this is happening. You know, I can handle I can handle the fact that all of this is happening on the island because um, the others are are toying with them or experimenting with them. For some reason, I, I can't wrap my my mind around them bringing them. There, I I don't know why. Anyway, so so I like that.
3: There seem to be two camps of thought, and one is the idea that the plane was brought there intentionally by Dharma, or by a, a, a group that controls Dharma and Oceanic Airlines. And then there seems to be the camp of people who believe that the plane crash was. In itself, just an accident, and I tend to go with the accident idea. The, like Stephanie says, to wrap my head around the idea that the plane was deliberately brought there or deliberately brought down, I, I can't fathom that. I really, I just can't. Uh, I just can't uh, go there.
4: Well, you know, I'm obviously camping out in the other camp, uh, ah. <laughs> and so I have to disagree with both of you. And I, I, I believe without any doubt. In my mind, I cannot – I don't even ha- – see, I have complete faith in the theory that they brought the plane there. And um, they're going to the, – to be honest with you, because of time, what I'm going to do is we're going to not allow this to be a, a, a two-hour recording session, but th- this may actually end up being a two-hour – episode of Generally Speaking this week, I'm going to put a lot of stuff at the end of the credits. So please stay tuned. After the end of the credits, I'm going to uh, record, I've pre-recorded some theories that were out there on the forums. And also I have my updated Thomas theory that you don't want to miss. And my Thomas theory, in its entirety, in its, entirety it, 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 it's a good one too. I've, I've really put some audio clips behind it and support um, it. And I well, think that I'd like to hear people's feedback on the Thomas theory thing. Sounds good. But here's the deal. I just, I do want to say, Rem, you, you said you cannot fathom the idea that they were brought there on purpose. Now, I just can't buy it. Now, here. How, 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 okay, go ahead. No, go, go ahead, because you're going to say, let me assume that you're going to say, how can they crash a plane and know who's going to survive and who's not?
3: The, the two possibilities are that the plane was actually in flight and they had some sort of uh, advanced weapon that would be able to, say, using electromagnetic rays or or waves, grab the plane, suck it out of the sky, and gently deposit it on the island. Now, the other thing, the other possibility is that that plane was just a prop, and people were, you know, people were brought there, and they were injured a little bit, and it was like a theatrical piece, like a a stage, if you will, on the beach. And uh, that's a possibility, too, but that it just seems, you know, then why would you have... You know, dead people inside the fuselage that had to be burned, and and why go to such lengths to to, to convince people that it was indeed a plane crash?
4: Why would why would an entire society of people uh, do the horrible things that they did to the Jews during World War II? Y- you have possibly a crazy man who has this idea of a utopian society, uh, which I had referred to in my Walden Two theory about the fact that. B.F. Skinner has a lot to do with this and, and you've got one crazy old man uh, maybe it's Alvar Hanso or somebody of that nature who's funding this project of a perfect society and the way they did it is they don't care if they have to kill a couple people if it means protecting the human race and make it a pure race of people
5: okay. uh, Have they seen the people they brought to the island? It's not a utopia <laughs>
4: <laughs> Okay but, th- but then it comes to the experiment thing you know, and here's the deal. There are a lot of different speculations. I, one of the things that I would probably lean towards more than uh, teleporting people out of the plane and putting them on the island, I, I'm really big into this implanted memory. Thing, mm, that all these okay. fla- I'm really big into these flashbacks are not actually their real memories but they've been implanted memories and, and their experiment is to see how people react to each other as a result of those and I do believe there's this and I'm not saying that I believe this is actually what's happening I'm just saying I lean on these theories and say I really think this could be something and so um, I don't hold these theories nearly as close to my heart as I do the Thomas theory but anyway I believe that they could have been you know, beat up a little bit and thrown there. They could have taken some dead bodies who maybe didn't make it through the cryogenically frozen bit, and they could have just scattered those out around. They, they, everybody's uh asleep, and they, they regain consciousness when, when they had uh, given them the medication to wake up all at the same time or whatever. And, and the whole thing that makes that unbelievable is this idea of, okay, so they're going to actually be able to take an airplane and make it look like it just crashed, and this engine spinning, the turbine, and and the wings about to crash, and and how in the world could anybody go and, and make anything like that look real? And it's like, hello, have you ever heard of this television show named Lost, where they had two weeks to create such a scenario?
3: So you're thinking it's entirely possible that that whole whole uh, crash was manufactured?
4: I am. I'm not. I I would say yes. I think it's entirely possible and if you have the right amount of money you could do something like that here and and if you were crazy enough to not care if some people were killed and if what have you and and it was you're crazy enough to run some kind of experiment like this and you had billions of dollars from being a war munitions dealer i I believe that you could do all kinds of things with your crazy thoughts in your mind and and if if the creators of loss can go and buy a jet plane have it flown in pieces, and then reassembled on an island for theatrical purposes in two weeks, who's to say that if they had 15 years to put this thing together and plan it all out, that they couldn't do the same thing? I'm just saying it's possible. I'm not saying I really believe it.
3: It certainly is possible, and if a person does have that kind of money and those resources...
4: And they're crazy enough what,
3: to do it. Who, yeah, who knows what lengths they may go to. Could it be that there's something to do with the island itself? Because if you look at what's, what's hit the island so far, we've got Oceanic 815, we've got the Nigerian drug plane, we've got Henry Gale's balloon, we've got the Black Rock, the ship. Mm-hmm. Those are four vehicles that have ended up on this island that we know of. Could it be something about the magnetics of the island that is pulling these planes and ships to them. Oh we Russo. also have Russo's. Russo's yeah, Russo's team. I, I believe that's
4: entirely true as well. I, I think I think that's a very big possibility.
3: Maybe it's a magnet for people or a magnet for vehicles. Yeah,
4: and there's there's theories out there that the island is alive. I'll tell you what we we uh, we have all kinds of stuff, and I really thought we were going to be uh, short on content this week, and I can't believe we actually got this deep into some of the stuff. I do want to uh, bring up two final things, and then we're going to cut into some other stuff. Uh, But here, I just want to, I wanted to play this just so that the person who put it together understood that we tried as hard as we could. This is a call that I got on the listener line, guys. Okay, that's pretty much all I can play of it, to be honest with you. Whoever that was, they obviously went through and recorded... Their voice and I think they said they're like something computer system 5000 and and we're being really creative and, and oh man I totally applaud your effort and everything but I think what happened is they recorded it went through all the trouble of putting this minute and a half audio clip together of something that would be really cool and creative and I think they just held it up to the telephone to record it into the listener line. And so, and so, what I did, I I literally worked for 40 minutes today trying to reverse some of the uh, compression and and some of the sound effect on it to see if I could bring it to a legible, or I'm sorry, to something that would be discernible. And I could not. So, whoever it was that called that in, I'm really sorry we weren't able to put your creative genius to work here in the island, uh, or I'm I'm sorry (laughs) on the (laughs) podcast. (laughs) And so, uh, but I do applaud you for 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 sending that in and i'm sorry it didn't work out and if you want to email me an mp3 or whatever of that content if it's if it's audible and can be discerned what you're saying uh, i'll put it at the end of the next show for sure so uh however i do have one other theory and actually it wasn't called in and it wasn't put on the forum but uh rem i don't know if you know this but eric's been missing for a while on an expedition have you heard about that
3: I, I don't know. I've been trying to get in touch with Eric, and I was going to ask you if you knew where he got off to. He seems well, like he's just disappeared.
4: I was really worried about him, and uh-huh. and in fact, I went over, and uh, you know Indiana's right next to Kentucky. So, oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, so I drove over to Fishers, Indiana. I asked around town. Everybody knew who Eric was. Ah, uh, he's, he's a good guy. And they said, well, you need to go to his apartment. Well, his apartment was uh, locked, but his landlord let me in, and when I was there, uh, I was doing a sound-seeing tour for another podcast I was thinking about starting of his apartment, and this is what I recorded when I was actually in there doing my sound singing tours. Okay.
8: Hi, you've reached Eric Fisher. I'm lost on a fake or not fake desert island right now, but if you'd like to enter the numbers 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42, and push execute, I will return your call as soon as I can.
7: Hey, this is Zeke. No, not that. That's Hey, dude, I've been calling you like five times. Where are you? Well, I got a theory for you. I think that the Dharma stands for
4: I think eric's got some pretty weird friends i don't know about you <laughs>
3: is eric a part of dharma i have no idea i don't know we're gonna have to find this out maybe he's in maybe he's in collusion with zeke well i i tell you what this,
4: he says this is a different zeke and in uh, he has this theory as far as what the acronym stands for. But uh, I, unfortunately, I think Eric's friend isn't quite that bright. And I'm not talking because of his the way he talks or anything like that. Uh, but that guy obviously didn't have all his marbles. Because here's, here's what he said it stood for. Doing harmonious and righteous actions. Uh, hello, Mr. There's Zeke. The, where's, Where, the where's the where's M? The M? <laughs> 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 so anyway... So
3: that's the the Dara initiative. That
4: is the Dara initiative, completely (laughs) separate from the Dharma initiative. Uh, So, anyway, um, let's go ahead and move into a little bit that we call "What Happened on the Island."
3: So, I don't know. Some people think the the moon landing was faked, and I'd be really bummed if it was. But, you know, if they didn't get to the moon, then how did they get all those pictures of the dark side? And I heard someone say that there are alien bases on the dark side of the moon, but apparently NASA's covering that up, too. Man, I wish he'd shut up. Should have left him in the hatch. Huh? What's that? Now I know why we do separate segments. So, anyway, you know, some people think that the aliens are connected to crop circles, but I don't think so. I think it's such a juvenile idea. Wait, shh.
2: What? Shh! What do you hear? Shut up! Huh? It's not what I hear. It's quiet.
3: That's because I stopped talking.
2: No, the jungle's quiet.
3: Yeah. Too quiet.
2: Wait, you hear that?
3: Aw, crap. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Don't run. That's what I was thinking. Stand perfectly still. Holy cow, the security system's gonna scan you. Uh, don't make eye contact. It doesn't have eyes, idiot. Maybe its vision is based on movement.
2: I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of it. <laughs> cool, you're getting scanned. Hey, I'm gonna go watch your flashbacks, man. Yeah, I'll be watching yours too, buddy. Oh, hold on. Now it's gonna scan you.
3: Okay, happy thoughts. Happy, 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 happy.
2: Stand still. It's okay, Rem.
3: Oh, man. I'm glad I brought extra underwear.
2: Hey, great flashbacks, Rem. Never knew you were a member of the Ukrainian polka team. Great costume.
3: Hey, man, don't you tell anybody. I was young and impressionable. Yeah, I like your flashbacks. Now I know who invented the mullet.
2: Hey, it was cool at the time. Not like your flashback with the MC Hammer balloon pants. That was the
3: 80s. We all did stupid things. At least I didn't have... To. Shh. Quiet. Yeah, whatever. Somebody's coming. Keep it down. Oh, man. It's not the security system again, is it? No. It's human. Maybe it's a French chick. Dude. All right.
4: Ren. Eric. Oh, man, am I glad to see you guys. Cliff! Hey, man, what are you doing here? Well, I got the audio file you sent, and it sounded like Saeed was about to pull out your toenails, and so I told Stephanie I was going to run to the store real quick for a gallon of milk. And,
3: well, here I am. Well, how'd you get here, man? And how are you going to do the show if you're here? Cliff, why are you just staring at us?
4: Yeah, come on, talk. Talk. Uh guys, I think I found Walt.
7: No button, help, sir. Press the button. The buttons, bad.
4: Wow, you talk about suspense.
3: And the plot thickens. (laughs) The plot
4: thickens. Stay tuned next week for what happens on
3: the island. dun dun dun.
4: One of the things that we uh, started last week was this idea of the trivia contest on our forums. And so let's go ahead and see how that turned out this week. And here's uh, Kim, a.k.a. Gracie's mom, with the results.
12: Hello, everyone. It's Kim again. And I'm here to announce the winner of our second trivia quiz. Our winner this week is Kaylee. Congratulations, Kaylee. You answered all 10 questions correctly and the bonus question. I'm going to go through the first 10 questions and the correct answers, and then I'll go through the bonus question. Number one, what alias did Kate use while staying on Ray's farm? And the correct answer is Annie. Number two, three of our island dwellers are named after Enlightenment philosophers. You had to name two of them, and the correct answers were Locke, Rousseau, and Boone. Number three, what is the full name of the actor that was originally considered to play Jack in the pilot episode? I was looking for Michael Keaton. Kaylee actually pointed out that his birth name is Michael John Douglas. Number four, what is the title and issue number of the comic that Walt was reading? The correct answer was Green Lantern and The Flash, Faster Friends number one from DC Comics. Kaylee actually uh, mentioned the Spanish name that was written on the front of the comic. Number five, what was written on the front of the envelope that was found in the Halliburton? And the correct answer is personal effects. Number six, we can assume that Thomas's favorite football team is the Brisbane Broncos. Number seven, what was the message that Nadia left for Saeed on the back of her photograph? The correct answer was, you'll find me in the next life if not this one. Number eight. In maternity leave, Sawyer called Kate Thelma. Now, this was a two-part question. I was looking for what year Thelma and Louise premiered and what was Thelma's full given name. The correct answer is 1991 was the premiere of the movie and Thelma's full name was Thelma Yvonne Dickinson. Number nine, Lost wasn't the only time M.C. Ganey played a character named Zeke. Name the film in which he played another character of the same name. And the correct answer is the Country Bears. Number 10. Where was Libby skiing when she snapped her left leg? I was looking for the name of the resort and the state where it was in. And the correct answer is Story Resort in Vermont. Now our bonus question this week asked, In the January 7th episode of the podcast, someone in the panel discussion said something that we joked would earn us an explicit tag on iTunes. What did the person say and who said it? There were two possible correct answers. One you could have answered was, it was Rachel, and Rachel said, son of a monkey. Or you could have said it was Stephanie in reference to when she was talking about Charlie and she said that he should remain all doped up. So congratulations to Kaylee. Again, Kaylee got all 10 questions correct. And the bonus question. I'm looking for some feedback as far as trivia goes. If you could, please go to the forum and let me know if you'd like a trivia game just on the forum, or if you'd like to continue the trivia game and have it writ- written and read for the podcast. Okay? Thanks a lot. Bye.
4: Kim, thank you so much for all that you do. and wow. And thank you very much for that trivia question. What do you think about those questions and answers, Rem?
3: You know, as, as she was going through, I was thinking, yeah, it's Annie. And I thought, I don't know the name of that ski resort. And, and what was on the backside of the picture? Those are great questions. I... I got maybe two or three right.
4: (laughs) Congratulations, Kaylee, for being our uh, trivia winner for the week. Uh, How awesome is that? And, uh, again, uh, Kim did ask for some feedback from our listeners. And so if you wouldn't mind, let her know. I I believe only four or five people have been playing over the last two weeks that she's got it going. So I think she's a little concerned about putting so much effort into it. But uh, the thing is, Kim, it's it's brand new. And so, uh, we, you know, if you guys think it's a uh, an enjoyable experience and you guys are thinking about participating in the future, please let Kim know uh, and, and she'll decide whether or not she wants to continue to bring us a trivia of the week.
3: We've got a special new addition to our, uh, generally speaking, staff. Uh, last week in the podcast, you were mentioning that you'd like to have other people contributing um, content segments to the show turns out I work with a fella at a media company here in Calgary and his name is Trevor who uh, is a, an exceptional graphic designer a good guy and very uh, very very creative person and he's expressed an interest in doing some work with the Generally Speaking Podcast. Well, I connected him up with Cliff. Uh, some ideas were thrown back and forth. Uh, some emails were sent. And I believe we have a debut of Trevor's first work to uh, to show tonight.
4: Very good. Yes, indeed. Yes. Uh, one of the things I will preface this with, and I promised him I would do so, is I want to tell you guys in advance that he only had like two hours to put this together. Uh, from the time he got the material until the time he actually emailed it to me, uh, because it wasn't until just this morning uh, that that he, um, I had given him the concept of doing the top 10 for us. So this week uh, there will be no prejudging of his quality of material, and next week uh, he'll be putting his full creative juices into it. But uh, And it's uh, Trevor, is it Levocane?
3: Trevor Levocane.
4: Very good. So here we go. Go ahead and take it off there, Trevor.
2: It's Trevor here, bringing you this week's top ten list. Turns out the losties on the island have taken to entrepreneurialism and started up some businesses. This week, it's the top ten island radio ads. Coming in at number ten. Come to Coconut's karaoke night. Come see Charlie from Drive Shaft. Perform all his greatest hits. How can you forget? You all, everybody. And, uh, well, grab a bottle of water and come on down. Coming down to number nine. Feeling penned up? Then stop by Echo's Piney Pins bowling alley. Authentic pins hand-carved by the Biggie himself. He's been chopping trees to bring you the island's best 10-pin action. Coming in at number 8. Got a craving for a California roll? Have an itching for some urchin? Would you like to take a double shift in the hatch for some iso yukimaki? Be sure to visit Jin's All-You-Can-Eat Sushi Emporium. That brings us to number seven. Not feeling well? <coughs> Do you have a touch of the sickness? Or maybe it's a toothache. Uh... Have no fear. Just stop in to see Dr. Jack and Dr. Bernard Island Medical Clinic. Dr. Jack or Dr. Bernard can help you with your pain and misery. Talk to Rose. She'd be more than happy to set you up with an appointment. In at number six. Know someone who's been misbehaving? Has someone been kidnapped, hanged, shot, scratched, poisoned, or killed? Sahid can help. He'll find them. Get the information from those who know where they are. And finally, he'll take good care of them in the Hatch Penitentiary. Halfway through, number five. Are you in need of some spiritual saving? Would having a religious icon in your possession comfort you in your time of need? Then you have been guided in the right direction. Charlie Pace specializes in religious statues. If there is any statue you need, Charlie has it, so long as it's the Virgin Mary. Charlie Pace is not responsible for contents of said statues. Charlie Pace asks that you pay no attention to the brown powder left on statues. No attention at all. At number four, feeling a bit haggard? Are you in need of a clip or shave? Ladies, has the constant exposure to the sun fried your hair? Then stop in and see Kate at Kate's cuts and curls. Kate will trim off those dead ends and shave you clean. Due to circumstances, Kate is only permitted to use safety scissors. In! at number three! Is your tarp house starting to get cluttered? Do you have to kick empty ranch bottles out of the way to get to the beach? Are the bodies in the corners starting to pile up? Don't make a stink? Take all of your unwanted waste to the Escape Hatch Trash Compactor. Just dump it and forget it. At number two, can't find a good book? Then get yourself down to Locke's Library. Locke has an excellent selection of classic mystery novels. Is the book you want checked out for the week? No worries. Sawyer seems to go through them pretty quick. Just remember that Locke is in charge of the library, and don't tell him that he can't put the fiction and nonfiction on the same shelf. And the number one, Island Radio Ad. Do you have a boar that's bugging you? Do you have a bone to pick with a polar bear? Maybe you've been craving pickles and ice cream or need some penicillin. Well, get yourself down to Sawyer's one stop shop. From 35 magnums to pregnancy tests, Sawyer has everything you need under one roof. Or, uh, tarp. Uh, chunk of fuselage. Uh, whatever you need, Sawyer will have it. Open seven days a week. There you have it. This week's top 10. Tune in next week for another exciting segment. <laughs> That is good stuff.
7: (laughs) Oh, really good, really good.
4: Good. Oh, Trevor, how awesome! That was awesome. He did an excellent job. I tell you, all editorial genius has to be given to credit over to uh, Rachel and to Kim for putting the actual words together for that. They they had put out the top ten list of (laughs) new idea, uh, new uses for the hatch out for our, our generally speaking listeners on the forum. And uh, every one of those were inspired by answers given on the forum from our listeners. And then Rachel and Kim really put the funny little Mm. commercial bits together. And then, Trevor, you did an awesome job for just getting that. So that was good stuff. Fantastic. Uh, We do have some news. The Lost Score comes to CD from, is it Varis Sarabande? Now, Varese has announced a new crop of CDs for release in March, including an album with the most sought-after music of any of today's TV series. Let's see. The Emmy award-winning music for Lost will be released on March 21st. The mystical, mesmerizing, and beautiful original scores for every episode of Lost have played an important role from the very beginning. A soundtrack release from Lost has become the most requested title we have ever encountered. Finally, to celebrate the continued success and acclaim of this landmark television series, we are pleased to at last offer this soundtrack for the show's devoted fans. So, guys, soundtrack for Lost, it's coming. Sounds great. Jorge Garcia has lost 30 pounds. He revealed that in Maxim Magazine. So, for all those people who always ask why the fat guy hasn't lost any weight, well, he has.
3: Holy cow, that's awesome.
4: 30 pounds, that is awesome. Suspect Arrested in Robbery of a Lost Actor Police have arrested a man who allegedly robbed, at gunpoint, Lost TV series actor Josh Holloway and his wife in their home in October. The suspect, 21-year-old Reuben E. Royce, was already being held on a previous burglary charge in the Oahu County Correctional Center when he was arrested about 4 p.m. Wednesday, police said. Royce has not yet been charged in the Holloway robbery. Captain Frank Fuji, who held a news conference regarding the arrest, could not explain why Royce was arrested on suspicion of first-degree robbery rather than second-degree. First-degree robbery, a Class A felony, carries a maximum 20-year sentence. Royce has two prior felony convictions, one for an auto theft and one for a parole violation, and he was, he was also convicted of abuse of a household member, Fuji said. On October 18th, police arrested Royce at Kino Street and 7th Avenue near Al- I wish Ryan from the transmission was here a Leolani Elementary School on a warrant and on suspicion of first degree burglary in which he allegedly broke into a Wapahu home early that, earlier that week and assaulted his girlfriend. Police shot pepper spray pellets and wooden rounds to subdue him. Holloway whose tough guy character Sawyer on the hit ABC show Lost, sometimes carries a gun, found t- found himself at the other end of a handgun when the suspect entered the couple's home at 4 a.m. October 12th. How scary would that be? Very. Po- police would not say whether Royce knew he was entering the home of an actor. Holloway told Entertainment Tonight, when someone has a gun in your face, don't give them any reason to pull the trigger. That's it. There's nothing you can do. If someone is pointing a 9mm at me... I'm not moving. I just covered my wife and protected her, and that was it. And off he went, Holloway said. Court records and a temporary restraining order taken out by Royce's mother show that his parents live near the Holloways in Hawaii Key. So, wow, that's horrible. We're just glad that he and his wife are safe. And one final bit of lost news, and probably the most exciting bit of lost news I've seen in a very long time. And let me just read to you. This is from bit-tech.net. The uh, title of the article is ABC Will Offer Ad-Supported TV Downloads. ABC, the network that shows Lost and Desperate Housewives, is to make shows available to download free this year. The downloads will be interspersed with advertising, meaning that viewers of the downloads will get 15 minutes of content interspersed with 5 minutes of ad breaks as they currently get on television. ABC is hoping it will make enough money from the advertising to make the free downloading of content a sustainable business model. Currently, ABC sells its show through iTunes Music Store for $1.99 a time. ABC is owned by Disney, and Disney's largest individual shareholder is Steve Jobs of Apple. We might assume that the ABC announcement is a trial of free downloads that could bring added functionality to the iTunes Store. If you went onto the store and saw an episode for $1.99 to download or a free one, which one would you get? Of course, the answer, you might go and get the high-def torrent release without ads for free, but that might or might not be illegal, depending on your interpretation of U.S. and international law. There are plenty of questions left unanswered by the announcement. Will the international viewers have access to these downloads? We suspect not, since that would screw up ABC's deals with international broadcast networks. Will the shows be in high definition? We suspect not, since that would cost an enormous amount of bandwidth and server infrastructure. Will you be able to transfer the episodes to portable players? We're not sure, but we certainly hope so. How long will the gap be between television showing and downloading availability? The iTunes releases appear the next morning, and we'd expect similar from this service. So there you go. Uh, possibly you uh, at least people who are currently able to view the shows here in the U.S. may be able to get some free downloads of Lost and some other ABC shows. I think that's exciting.
3: And that's certainly where the trend is going to be going. You know, we're we're leaving the age where we have to, you know, set our our VCRs or our TiVos and or watch a program at a specific time. Now the trend is, you know, we'll download the show and we'll drop it on our iPod and we'll watch it on the bus. That seems to be certainly the way things are going to be going in the future.
4: Absolutely. Yes. Well, I'll tell you what, Rem, thank you very much uh, for sitting in for Rachel this week. Rachel, we hope things uh, are going well for you, and we'll see you back here next week with us. And uh, before we leave, I just want to make one final announcement, and that is for next week's show. What we really would like to have is all of our listeners to call us on our listener line this week at 413-521-0958. That, again, is 413 413- And here's what we want you to do when you call us. We would like you to share your favorites about Lost. In fact, we're going to have a couple different segments. We're going to talk about our favorite one-liners. Perhaps you have a favorite Sawyer nickname. That would be separate from a one-liner. We would like to hear who your favorite character is. We would like to know your favorite Season 1 episode and why. And your favorite Season 2 episode so far and why what is your favorite mystery on the island? What has been your favorite revelation? The one that really just thrilled you that they shared?
3: Oh, great idea. So
4: uh, that's pretty much it. The only thing I will say is since there are lots of questions as far as we'd like to know your favorites, I am going to ask that you call with, if you want to call and tell us your favorite one-liner and you want to tell us your favorite uh, episode and you want to tell us your favorite character, Please call in three separate
3: calls. Rem, did you want to say anything before we leave? I want to say a special hello to Rachel and hope she's feeling better. And um, certainly I I could not fill those shoes, but uh, I've been really blessed. And thank you very much for the opportunity to be here tonight.
4: Very good. Stephanie, did you have anything before we sign off?
5: No, I think I'm good.
4: Okay, well, uh, again, uh, just a reminder, please stay tuned after the exit theme uh, for my very lengthy but very in-depth Thomas theory. So until next time, let's get lost.
3: You have been listening to Generally Speaking, a podcast production of Ravenscraft.org. You can make our show even better with your feedback. Call our listener comment line at area code 413 413- After you hear this greeting...
7: Thank you for calling. To leave a message, please press 1.
3: Leave your comments and questions, and please start with your name and where you're calling from. This podcast is made possible with the generous support of our listeners and in part by periodic sponsors to the show. If you would like to contribute to our weekly podcast, simply click on the PayPal Donate button on our website at ravenscraft.org. Join us next week for another edition of Generally Speaking. Thanks for listening.
9: We're going to need to watch that again.
4: Hey, everybody. This is Cliff Ravenscraft of the Generally Speaking podcast and I to share with you my Thomas theory. Those who have listened to Generally Speaking for some time have already heard portions of this. However, I have updated it with some uh, supporting proof here. The first thing I want to do is just share with you um, my theory, and that is that Thomas is not, no, Thomas, first of all, is Claire's ex-boyfriend. Now, back in season one, in episode Raised by Another, we're introduced to the fact that Claire is pregnant and going to have a baby, and she is dating Thomas and that he is the father. Now, uh, in the episode, we were kind of led to believe that Thomas was this deadbeat dad that dropped out on his girlfriend when he got a little scared of having a baby, and my theory is that's not exactly what's happened first of all do you realize that in the hatch swan station number three if you will there is a mural on the wall now this mural has uh... painting supplies right underneath it and so my theory is that thomas Claire's ex-boyfriend is the person indeed who painted that mural now the support Immediately that I have for this is the fact that when we go and uh, see Raised by Another from Season 1, we hear that Thomas is a painter, and in the background of Claire and Thomas are talking about when she first found out they got pregnant, there are some murals, unfinished murals, not hanging on the wall but leaning against the wall. And the artwork looks identical to the type of artwork that's in the hatch on the mural. And there's painting supplies. So obviously Thomas is this guy who works on multiple projects and leaves his supplies around just in case he has some inspiration. And the faces are drawn much like the face of the mural in the hatch. And not only that, but there are some numbers that are on uh, one of the paintings in behind Thomas in his apartment in a screen capture that I'll put in our show notes. And the handwriting of the numbers of one, two, and five, I believe, are written exactly like the one, two, and five that are in, painting. I'm sorry, in the mural in the hatch. We understand that uh, Swan Station number six has two people uh, on in shifts of 540 days. We learned that from Dr. Marvin Candle in in the orientation film. So anyway, my theory is that Thomas used to work in the hatch, and when he did. He brought his lava lamp and all of his painting gear. Now, uh, we've seen the lava lamp and in the hatchler pad bedroom, and uh, that's another thing that kind of ties the two. And what happened is he was there for his 540 days injecting himself with the same thing that we see Desmond injecting himself with earlier on in, in Season 2. And so, anyway, he had finished his 540 days and went back to live his life you know, on back in Australia. Now, this could have been right before uh, Kelvin and his partner were put into um, rotation. So, anyway, my theory is that this injection must have had something in it to where if a child was born as a result of the DNA of the person being injected, that it would be special in some way, and that by Claire getting pregnant from Thomas, that caused Claire's baby to be special, and Dharma. Would then want to have that child. Now, here's a little clip uh, to support the fact that, you know, he's not a deadbeat dad. He is, the, in fact, the one who talked Claire into keeping this baby. He was very excited about ha- being a father. And, Hey, Claire. You know, if we, if we wanted to,
7: we could do this.
1: <sighs> Stop it.
7: No, I'm not kidding.
1: My mom would disown me.
7: <laughs> she basically has already.
1: Go, yeah, but with what? I mean, my my $5 an hour job at Fish and Fry?
9: You're not the only one with a job, you know. I mean, I've got my painting. I mean, I've got my painting. I mean, I've got my painting.
1: That, that's sweet, but... this isn't what we want.
9: Maybe
7: it is. Maybe. Yeah? This could be like, uh... I don't know. Could be like the best thing ever. Could be like the best thing ever. Could be like the best thing ever.
1: You'd, You'd really want to try?
7: Yeah. Claire. I love you.
4: Okay, so obviously you can tell by that clip that Thomas is truly in love with Claire and that he, he really does want to be a father. I mean, that it's, it's clear that that's his intention from the very get-go there. And, of course, uh, then let's just skip on into something else that kind of supports a little bit of my theory, and that is the psychic Rich, Richard Malkin. Now, you might recall that Claire had gone to uh, see a psychic uh, with a friend of hers. And here's a little clip from that. And this is what happened. So when did you find out?
0: What? About the baby?
1: Um, two days ago.
0: sorry um i can't i can't uh,
1: what were you gonna what did you say
0: i'm i'm not doing this reading
1: no you, you were gonna say something you'll
0: have to leave now thanks thanks very much
4: okay mr malkin had obviously picked up on something in the psychic force if you will if you believe in that kind of thing and obviously the writers wrote that in so anyway, let's go on with that. And so here's what I'm believing. Is this is part of my theory. Is that when Richard Malkin had tapped into the psychic force of surrounding with what he saw about Claire's baby, that in some way had some kind of psychic disturbance in the force, if you will. I have no idea. But anyway, my theory is that Dharma picked up on this. Okay. Now, Dharma picks up on this, and it's a couple weeks pass by, and because Dharma picked up on it, they sent somebody immediately to go track down Thomas. Okay. And when they do, they confront him and say, Thomas, we're here from Dharma, and we understand that you have maybe somebody that's expecting. And my theory is that Thomas it denies the whole thing. I don't know what you're talking about. Come on, Thomas. We know that you're getting ready to. Your your girlfriend is going to have a baby. We we sensed it. We know that this is true, and Thomas completely denies it. And here's the thing: he knows Dharma has ways of knowing things because he's he's worked with Dharma for. Uh, he was on the in the Swan Station Three for quite some time, and so he he understands that Dharma has some weird practices and they have some weird ways of knowing things about people. And he's really scared for Claire, and he's very scared for his baby. How can he get rid of Claire so that they won't be able to track him back to Claire? And the only thing Thomas can think of, via my theory, is that he breaks up with her. And here's how that goes. Now, recall how we can do this, Claire. This could be the best thing ever. I love you. Now, I don't believe somebody just changes you know, maybe somebody has a bad day, but this guy, he right before this clip I'm about ready to play, you can see that he's thinking, "Oh man, how am I going to do this?" And and if you go back and watch Raised by Another, right before where this clip I'm going to play he picks up, look at his facial expression, and he's, you can tell he doesn't really want to do what he's about to do, but he knows he's going to have to. Break up with her in such a way that she will want nothing to do with him. It's the only way to keep her away, so that Dharma does not track her by following Thomas. Does that make sense? Well, let me play the clip.
1: I can't do this. Do what? Do you have a bad day?
7: This isn't working.
1: Oh, and you knew that. I what? Just so I'm not overreacting here. Are you breaking up with me?
9: Look, for the past three months, it's just... You know, there's always some plan, some responsibility, somewhere that we have to be, someone that you have to talk
1: to. Well, yeah, I'm trying to make sure that when the baby comes... When the baby...
9: Yeah. I mean, that is just not...
7: It's like this now, you know? What's it going to be like when the baby comes?
1: But you said we should do this. Yeah. Yeah, well now it's real well you can't just change your mind how in the hell
7: am i supposed to be a dad claire how about my painting my life i knew
1: i knew this was gonna happen
7: <sighs> i told you so put a now I get all your daddy abandonment crap
1: hey you b- g- don't you dare try to justify what you're doing i have done do nothing dare. okay i've done absolutely nothing
7: <sighs> you don't think i've seen what you've done excuse me you were supposed to be on the pill <gasps>
1: You think I got pregnant on purpose? I don't or did this be some kind of plan? You are out of your it's mind! Over, no, it's not over. I'm out of here, it
4: Okay, so there you go. My theory is that Thomas did exactly what he had to do to completely break off and sever the entire relationship wholly, so that Claire would just not try to even follow up. She won. Want, he wanted her to believe that he was a deadbeat guy and wanted nothing to do with him being the father of her baby. And that's what he attempted to do with that argument, and he succeeded. And, of course, that's my theory anyway. And then we move back to Mr. Malkin. Now, here's what happened. A week later, I believe it was, she goes to see Mr. Malkin again. She's like, what in the world's going on? I have no idea what to do. And she's like, I remember that psychic guy, um, Mr. Malkin, he, he did a psychic reading, but he would kind of flipped me out with this whole idea he didn't want to do it. And so she goes to see him again, and here we go. Yes?
1: Mr. Malkin, we, we met before?
4: Yes, I remember.
1: You wouldn't give me a reading.
0: I was hoping you would now.
1: Is that why you didn't want to do my reading last time?
0: No, no. I saw something, sort of a blurry thing. And Blurry's bad. Blurry's bad. That's why I stopped the reading. Are you sure you want to go on now? Yeah, yes, please. This is important. Okay. It is crucial that you, yourself, that you, yourself, that you, yourself, raise this child.
1: You mean with Thomas? Is it easy? The father
0: of this child will play no part in its life, nor yours. So what exactly are you saying? This child, parented by anyone else, anyone other than you. Danger surrounds this baby. Danger? Your nature, your spirit, your goodness must be an influence in the development of this child. Look, if.
1: if Thomas and I don't. get back together i'm putting this baby up for adoption i just i just wanted to find out what would give the
0: baby the happiest life there is no happy life not for this child not without you (laughs) i i don't There, there can't be another you mustn't allow another to raise your baby okay great Um,
1: thanks for taking my 200
0: no, 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 take it. Miss Littleton, I am begging you just to consider. I
1: can't raise this child by myself. You
0: have to listen to me. Okay,
1: thanks for your time and my money.
0: Miss Littleton, please. The baby needs your protection.
2: Miss Littleton, please.
4: Okay, so what's really important here is that in that clip, you remember just how adamant, Mr. Richard Malkin is that Claire not allow anyone other than herself to raise that child. In fact, he calls her for months.
0: Hello? Miss Littleton, it's Richard Malkin. Oh my God. Listen to me. I have a plan. Something that will make this all
1: better. You've got to stop calling me. It's too late, all right? I'm going to see adoptive services tomorrow.
0: I've been telling you for months. You cannot do that.
1: What I do with my baby is none of your business.
0: Please don't do what I'm suggesting. Great danger will be. Befall-
1: okay, great danger will befall you if you don't stop calling me in the middle of the night. I-
4: okay, so he calls her in the middle of the night because he knows that she is ready to go see the adopted services tomorrow. Now, why would this psychic, Richard Malkin, call her in the middle of the night? That's because. He was sensing the psychic force again and knew that the very next day she would be sitting in the presence of none other than Arlene and Joseph Stewart. Arlene and Joseph Stewart, who are others, trying to adopt Claire's baby. Now, the most recent episode of, called Maternity Leave has really helped me to support this. In fact, let me go ahead and play for you the clip of her at the adoption agency.
0: Born and handed over to the Stuarts, you'll have no right to see the child again. You'll have no right to correspond with the child. It will be entirely up to Eileen and Joseph to decide whether to tell the child anything about you. Do you know uh,
1: Catch a Falling Star? It's a song like a lullaby. Catch a falling
0: star and put it in your pocket.
1: My dad used to sing that to me when I was little. Do you think you could sing it to the baby once in a while? Of course.
4: Now, nobody else has heard of this request by Claire to have her child hear on a regular basis the song Catch a Falling Star. Now, we forward to maternity leave. We see the flashback about what happened when Ethan uh, kidnapped her. And Ethan brings her into this medical hatch, brings her into this nursery that's been made for Aaron. Now, this is the music that is played on the mobile that's made for baby Aaron.
8: Ethan.
4: Now, if you didn't know it, that song is actually catch a catch a falling star and put it in your pocket. Now, th- that put in my mind a definite yes connection with the Stewarts trying to adopt Claire's baby. Now, obviously, Claire left without giving her baby up for adoption, and obviously the Stewarts were not too happy with that. So, Dharma, what they did is they were able to do some tracing back of who was it that gave Claire a psychic reading that kind of disturbed the psychic force maybe? The Stuarts went back to Richard Malkin and they found him and now they have threatened his life. In fact, here's how he's changed his story.
1: You spent the last four months telling me I have to raise the baby myself. Now you're giving me money and saying I don't have to?
0: I found a couple in Los Angeles who are very eager to adopt. The baby will be safe in their care. Now, I foreseen...
1: You foreseen? I foreseen? I don't even know why I'm here. I'm sorry. I
0: know this sounds ridiculous, Claire. All this psychic business. And I appreciate that you must think I'm a raving madman. But this is what must happen.
4: Okay, now, remember I told you to not forget about how adamant he was that no one other than Claire was to raise this child. He was adamant about that, not anyone else. And now he's saying this is what must happen. And notice he says he found a couple. Well, that couple is Arlene and Joseph Stewart, only they're not waiting in Los Angeles. He he does know exactly what's going to happen. He already knows, he's already sensed as a psychic that they're going to put her on flight 815 and get her to the island. But he can't tell her, and he must convince her to get on that plane, or else he will be killed.
1: Well, I can't go tomorrow.
0: I have to get my... It has to be this flight. It can't be any other. They're already scheduled to meet you when you're alive. Flight 815. Flight 815.
1: There's no couple in Los Angeles. He knew. He knew about the plane. What was going to happen. Oh my God, he knew.
4: So there you go. Richard Malkin knew. He knew because Dharma, or the Stuarts, had gotten to him. And made sure that he talked claire into getting onto that plane a guy who at first warned claire that nobody should raise raise this child other than herself this child mustn't be raised by another but now he convinces her to get on the plane she's got on the plane she's been on the island she's now been kidnapped she had given her child over to dharma And, of course, she was drugged and did it under, you know, that mindset. However, she was willing. Matter of fact, uh, you have Alex helping her escape, and she did not want to take the baby with her. And because of that, that would probably be why she had this dream.
1: What's happening?
4: You know what's happening.
1: But I I don't understand. Why? It was
4: your responsibility, but you gave
8: him away, Claire. Everyone pays the price
4: now. Do you see where I'm coming from with this? Do you think I'm crazy? Well, that's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. I believe that Dharma is a port owner or owner of Oceanic Airlines. Why else would they have Oceanic airplanes in the baby's mobile? I believe that Thomas used to work with Dharma, and he worked in Swan Station Number 3 and painted a mural. I believe that Thomas was not a deadbeat dad. But indeed, he was a dad that was so concerned for the life and safety of his future child. He was so concerned that he was willing to give up who he loved the most to save them. That's my theory.